Thank you for checking out this episode with Ken Marino. Ken Marino was one of my favorite actors. I've been following him since the show The State in the early 90s on MTV, which was a huge part of my life growing up. And to this day, I still watch it and love it and followed his career for a long time. Since then, I've always been a big fan of him and most of the cast that I actually have coming on over the next few weeks. It's going to be a really cool uh, next month or two with a lot of the state cast coming on. Um, But they're also doing a special promotion. They did a reunion Zoom with the state and they're doing it for charity. So for the next, I think, five days, if this is coming out on Monday until Friday, you can actually go on the site and you can order a limited time only Zoom with the state t-shirt that was actually drawn by Michael Showalter, who plays Doug and some other characters on there. And then you will also be able to get the recording of the reunion. So if you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, you will see the button to hit for the Zoom with the State t-shirt and reunion recording also on there. This episode is sponsored by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you need funding for your real estate deals, whether you have bad credit, good credit, experience, no experience, some down payment issues, or you have a buyer that needs some creative financing, residential, multi-units, lines of credit, all types of different things. When lenders have been saying no for months now, Nationwide Business Capital Group has been saying yes. So jump on nicknicknick.com slash links, click on get funding for my real estate deals under the affiliates link, and you will be connected directly with Marianne. Tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over, and she will be able to talk you through almost any scenario. If there's a way to say yes, they will find it. Again, very, very excited to interview this entire cast. The state was a big, big part of my life, and Ken Marino was a total stud for doing this. We were both in the middle of pretty big thunderstorms where we live, so this connection went in and out a little bit, but I don't think it did it enough to really affect the quality of the episode. Also, a lot of these look fine, um, sound fine, but if you want to jump on YouTube and actually watch this one, he's got a lot of really great facial expressions and he's very animated, which you can't really catch on the audio as much, so it was really fun for me to actually go back and rewatch this one live on the video as well. Thank you for listening. NickNickNick.com slash links for the t-shirt, for CBD, and for your real estate funding needs. Thank you. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is one of my all-time favorite actors, Mr. Ken Marino, writer, director, producer, actor from MTV's The State, which is one of my all-time classic favorite shows, What Hot American Summer, Wanderlust, Role Models, Veronica Mars, Eastbound and Down, Party Down, Marry Me, Bad Milo, Children's Hospital, Dog Days, Axe Cop, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Birth of Reaper, and most importantly, my fellow Long Island Paisan. What's up, baby? Ken Marino, thank you so much. How are you doing today, sir? I'm all right. Now, I don't know if we talked about this. So you're, are, you're, you're, you're from Long Island, but where in Long Island? So I grew up in Baldwin. Ah, okay. I was uh, a Nassau boy. Yes, yes. I'm a Suffolk County, South Shore Suffolk County boy. Nice, man. Nice. Yeah, I, think I, don't so- know if one of, I don't know if one of the, the things, one of, my, one of the credits you listed was a movie called Diggers. But that, no, was, a, that was a movie I wrote a uh, uh, number of years ago now. Um, but it's a it's it's about Long Island in the '70s, about clam diggers on Long Island and the dying uh, dying uh, profession. And uh, if you haven't seen it, being a Long Island guy, you should uh, you should uh, find it and watch it. I will 100% check that out. You you were uh, I think you said with Port Port Jeff or Northport? He's Northport. No, I lived in uh, 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 West Islip, and then I lived in Mariches. So okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mariches was a little. I forgot. Further. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. My my uncle was a fisherman out in East Mauritius for a while when I was really young, and then he moved out to uh to Florida. Cool. Awesome, so, man. Well, so another reason I think you'll enjoy uh, diggers. All right. Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out for sure. Um, you know, first and foremost, obviously, it was funny because we we talk, which I definitely want to get into you calling people on Twitter, which I think is awesome, and originally how we connected. But I started asking you all these questions about the state and. 
I, I don't know. I just, I thought it was, I didn't realize it was as bad as it was. And then like a week later, maybe not even, all of a sudden there was the state reunion and um, the, the the Zoom with the state. And I was just, man, I, I was so happy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is awesome that everything's uh, coming yeah. back on. You, you went out for a second. I, I missed a couple of words, but yes, I, I remember talking to you about the state. And then, uh, yes, yeah, soon after that, we uh, wound up just throwing together this um, charity thing. And because of the nature of the state, because there's so many people in it, uh, we, we, we either had the opportunity to do it in five days or we would have had to have wait uh, like a month and a half for everybody to get together. And we still, there was one, it was still one person we couldn't get because they were driving or they were up in the woods somewhere, uh, Ben. But uh, yeah, so we threw it together real fast. That's awesome, man. It, it was a blast. I, I wanted to dig into the results of that because you guys actually raised a ton of money and it was a lot of fun. And I think you just released it as well too, so we can promote that. But how did you, how did the state even come about? I've, I've heard some different stories. Um, I recently interviewed Kevin Allison and I heard how how he found you guys, but it looked like you were already a group together already. So um, how did you wind up? I know you guys met at NYU initially, but did you always want to get into show business growing up as a you know Italian guy in Long Island? What got you interested in being an actor or was it a comedian initially? So I want to hear a little bit about how you found the interest in showbiz and wound up getting into it and definitely hear if your family supported you and that was your initial first thing that you wanted to do. Well, I'll answer your second question first, which is how did I get into it? Did my family support me? Um, I, when I was very young, I, um, I decided I wanted to be an actor much younger than most people. Like, yeah, I was, I was very young and, um, normally people don't know what the hell they want to do. And for whatever reason, I said, I want to act. And then throughout, and that was around third or fourth grade. And then throughout the years I had people, I had the luck of finding people who would continue to push me in that direction and, and encourage me. And so I was very lucky in that sense. And, um, my parents were super supportive. Um, I lived in two different parts of Long Island where there weren't a lot of uh, people, uh, 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 you know, like my, my, my classmates were not, uh, there weren't a lot of acting. There, was, there weren't a lot of actors. It was, a lot, it was more of a sports town. Certainly West Islip was. And um, Riches, I guess I was a little younger, so it, it didn't affect me. But, um, but uh, um, yeah, I just I decided I wanted to be an actor at a at a very young age. I went to it was just a fluke thing. I went to a camp, a summer camp uh, uh, that we my sister and I won a, a, a three weeks at some summer camp on Staten on uh, not Staten Island. What the hell's the island between the the forks? Uh, uh, Shelter Island. Shelter Island. Yeah, uh, on Shelter Island, and we went there. And then um, the class, the grade I was in, just happened to do a play at the end of the um, at the end of the time we were there, and it was and it was a church uh, camp. So we did the Prodigal Son. Uh, you know the story of the Prodigal Son, but the story of the Prodigal Son is the father has two sons, and one son is the kind of he splits all his wealth and gives it to you know half to one son, half to the other son. The one son saves, the other son splits and blows it all, and then comes back, and then the father celebrates the son coming back, even though he blew all the money and, <laughs> and booze and whatever. And so we did this play when I was in third or fourth grade and I was the prodigal son. And you know, when you're that old, they just want you to clown around on stage. And they, and so that was great for me. I enjoyed it. And as soon as I heard a bunch of people laughing, I sort of got the, uh, the bug. I sort of got the, uh, you know, I've been chasing that uh, dragon ever since. So, you know, I, so that's how I got into it. And then um, I went to college to be an actor. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have any intentions of getting into sketch comedy. Um, but uh, I went to the state and um, the first day I was there, I met David Wayne and Craig Wedren, who scores all the stuff that we do or a lot of the stuff that we do. And uh, I met Todd Hollebeck soon after that. And Todd Hollebeck and David were in a sketch group uh, that, I don't know if you're familiar with kids books, but there was a guy named Mo Willems uh, who writes uh, uh, Knuffle Bunny and Don't Let the Piggy, uh, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus and um, Piggy and Elephant. Those are all like mm -hmm. very popular kids books now. Um, and he was, he had a sketch group called the Sterile Yak. And David and Todd were in that. And Todd didn't like uh, that, I guess, 
and Mo was a great guy, but Mo was, so it was his group. So he made the calls, he made all the decisions and Todd wanted to create a group. He didn't like that. He wanted to create a group where it was more of a democratic kind of process. Everybody had a, you know, equal vote. And so he broke off from that group and started this uh, new group. And it was called the new group all through college. And um, he auditioned people and I happened to be buddies with Todd. And I was like, Todd, he's like, you can audition. I was like, yeah, but I don't want to, I don't want to wait in that long line. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. You don't have to audition. And so, uh, you know, through knowing Todd, he, he was nice enough to, um, you know, not uh, put me through the, uh, make me jump through all the hoops. Um, and then uh, everybody, and then all, mostly everybody else was a year younger, right? So this group started my second year of college. And, uh, and so that was Black and Kerry and uh, uh, Showalter and uh, Ta, uh, 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 Ben and Joe. And then um, people just started to, you know, like we just, we just really clicked. It was, there was something special about the group. That was That's a little awesome. diary of, mouth, of the mouth. Sorry about that. No, that was perfect, man. I could listen to that stuff all day. I'm, I'm so intrigued <laughs> by it. I love hearing how, how things come together. And even uh, Kevin Allison, when he, when he was talking to me about it, when he said he first saw you guys perform, he said it was almost like hearing a, a song that was a hit that you knew was just gonna be huge and it just was such a natural thing that you were like, I feel like I've already watched this and I'm watching greatness. So, I mean, it looked like it was just a perfect formula. And I, I think I was telling you when you called, I, I was watching it all month, I've been watching it now. It's just as funny to me today, if not more than it was then. And a lot of things don't hold up like that, but I think this, this definitely does. Well, we didn't do a lot of political stuff. You know, we did also like social, like just absurdist humor or meta humor or weird, like it didn't have anything to do with like, what was happening in our, you know, currently, except for the directive that we got from MTV, which was like, make fun of MTV. So <laughs> we mostly tried to do stuff that was, and I think that we took that cue from like, like we were fans of Monty Python and a lot of the stuff they did was just weird. And, you know, you can watch it anytime and, and it, it made sense. It wasn't like, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't date itself, you know? So we like to just do weird, stupid stuff that, you know, wasn't trying to say anything for the most part. And uh, I think we were lucky in doing that because it, it holds up. Um, it definitely all, does. I think some of the stuff is pretty funny and some of it's not. <laughs> that's, that's the nature of sketch comedy. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love it. I could watch it for days. And the, the creative process with that, what is that like? So um, I know you guys all, I heard some things that you were saying in the Zoom that if somebody writes a sketch, then obviously they get to be in it. But you, you're coming up with stuff like how does it to go that you, you pitch something to everybody because a, a big thing, you know, I'm a, I'm a real estate guy, but I'm, I'm a business guy and I've tried a whole bunch of different things. And in my line of work, there's just a ton of rejection. Same thing with, you know, I, I was talking to you about jujitsu and there's, there's a lot happening out. There's a lot of losses to get to your wins. And I feel like in comedy and acting, it's, it's got to be exponentially more that you probably have more ideas that get shot down than that get accepted or, you know, before you get to the point of the things that really get there. So what's it like to come up with the, the, the skits like that and then pitch them? And what was the approval process to actually get them on the air? You know, everybody wrote differently. And, um, you know, somebody like Ben, who was a sketch writing machine, he would walk around with a little notepad in his back pocket and then he would, you know, walk around Manhattan uh, all day and then come back and the pad was filled up with sketches. And so he would read a lot of sketches in his, and he was willing to let a lot go. Um, but then, you know, like his A stuff got into the show and probably a lot of the A stuff kind of slipped through the cracks and maybe some stuff that probably shouldn't have been in there got in there. But like, then there was somebody like me who like wouldn't, who was too stubborn to take no for an answer. And so like, if I wrote something and everybody'd be like, nah, it's all right, we vote for it. And I'd be like, no, no, no. So then I would go back and try to rewrite it or pitch it again. So, you know, my, my uh, batting average was probably better, but I wrote far less sketches and just was, you know, stupid enough, stupid enough, <laughs> and stubborn enough to to not, you know, take no for an answer. Um, I wish I could write like Ben and like somebody like Tom. Tom would write something, and it would, he would write it, and it would be perfect. You know, like like uh, you know, a great example of that is Porcupine Racetrack. There was absolutely nothing. The what you see, except for the music that was 
written for it, but he sang it in, in his, he sang his version of it. Nothing changed in that. And, you know, a lot of times I would come in with something. I'm like, I really like this thing, but I don't know what the, I don't know what the punchline is. I don't know what the button out is. Um, and I would usually come in with like higher concept, like, um, like hormones and, um, the, the woman who has PMS changes into every character in the group. And, <laughs> um, uh, you know, like just weird with the restaurant sketch and weird stuff with David. And, um, but, um, you know, that what was great about the group is like, they rec they would recognize like, oh, that's, that's good. Let's workshop that and figure out something to make it better or, you know, add another layer to it. And we did that with everybody's sketches for the most part, you know, except for a lot of Tom stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I actually didn't think of until I watched you guys on the Zoom live, one of the, I'm always dealing with teams, you know, trying to get better at management. There's people that come and go. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's my fault, but I've, I've been trying to get a lot better with leadership. And one of the things I noticed was during the Zoom live, you seemed to take that role. It looked like things were a little bit all over the place with the bids and you were the one who kind of put your foot down and said, all right, look guys, like one person's going to be in charge of this. We're going to, you know, you, I don't want to say outfit it, but you know, you, you took the leadership role to help the organization, which I think everybody actually appreciated um, being that you're obviously more mature now. I'm sure you used to dealing with kids, all that stuff starts to help. But at, you know, freshman, sophomore in college with 10, 12 other ones are probably all thinking that their stuff's just as funny. Everybody's alpha. Everybody thinks that they're, they should be leading the group. How did you guys get as far as you did with no real leadership? It doesn't seem like there was one person that really took control of that group, which obviously could make things tough when everybody's a little bit of a free for all in that situation. I think we all had a good sense that we all had strengths and weaknesses, but together we made this kind of 11 headed beast that we all enjoyed riding on the back of, you know what I mean? Like it was, uh and so you know there were certain things that uh, organizational things that david does or like there were certain things where like i would just like if 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 we weren't sure about something and you know i'd be like you know i'd help us put our heads down and just like drive through it and do get the thing done that we need to get done and um everybody had strengths everybody had weaknesses um but we i think the what that magic in a bottle thing was, is we recognized it and we loved each other for both and we lifted uh, each other up. That's, that's not to say that there weren't um, conflict and there, and there wasn't conflict and there wasn't, um, you know, fights about stuff, but most of the time the fights about stuff were just passion over the group and the, and the work and trying to do the best stuff we can do. And, um, and I think that that's why, it was such a cool group. With the Louis story, I think is funny. I was telling it today to somebody, but I didn't realize that you guys did that as a, a fuck you to MTV to try and prove them that they were wrong about the skit. And then they actually wound up being a hundred percent correct that it was. So yeah. I love that story. If you yeah. That. Yeah. That, so the story, the story is the first season we were on MTV, we had our own show. We got our own show off of you wrote it, watch it. We were 20, 21. I don't know how old we were. Very young. And we thought our shit didn't stink. And so like MTV was like, great, we're giving you a show. Um, you get to do, I don't know, whatever, however many episodes we did that first season, six or eight or whatever. And, um, and still we were like, we, we would like acting like these rebels, like how dare they give us a show we're going to show that, you know, and then they're like, well, here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like, you know, they gave us like four things that they wanted us to touch upon that first season. Uh, I'm trying to remember it. Sick, sick and Twisted Humor, MTV parodies, recurring characters, and something else. And of course, we were like, whatever they told us, we were like, at the time, we're like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. Um, and they insisted, and they're like, we're giving you money to do a show. And we're like, all right, we'll do it. So then our, then, you know, then what we tended to do is we all hung out together all the time. And we always, we would always go drinking at this uh, place called Barrow Street Ale House. And we'd stay there and they used to stay open um, after hours. They used to close the doors and then we'd roll out at like 4 a.m., <laughs> uh, 5 a.m. The sun was up, up and, but we would write sketches and stuff on, on uh, bar napkins and, 
we just talk about like the group and sketches and try to come up with stuff. And um, that's when we would get all worked up about like uh, uh, not wanting to do the things that they told us to do. But then they insisted. And so we we're like, okay, I know we're going to come up with a character that we can never do again. <laughs> never. And because he doesn't go anywhere, he just does the same thing over and over again. And it's going to be like a big F you to MTV. And we didn't know what it was. And then um, we all worked in the, this little small cubicle area. And David Wayne had a tendency to hold, have his hands down his pants and play with his <laughs> testicles all the time. But he also had a tendency to just eat whatever food was around. He's gotten much better at both, um, at not doing both. And he would, so he would like, if there was like food somewhere and it wasn't his, but it like looks like somebody was done, he just started eating it, you know? And there was a peanut butter jar on my table. And he just, he, he walked up to it with his hands down his pants. And then he just kind of walked over to the jar and he didn't do it on purpose. He wasn't, but he opened up the jar and then he scooped it out with his fingers. And I was like, David, what are you doing? Like, and then I think I was like, why don't you, why don't you just dip your fucking balls in it? And then we for whatever reason, we thought that that was a good catchphrase to, for our FU to MTV. And then, um, we were like, well, how do we get it past standards and practices? And we said, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna hold golf balls. And then we said, and, and what does the character do? And we're like, he just says it over and over again and everybody just loses their mind over it. And so we wrote that and we were like, okay, that now they'll never ask us to do a, you know, a, a, a recurring character again. And then they were like, hey, do, the, do that character again. <laughs> and so then we had to, we painted ourselves into a corner and we had to come up with like different new Louis sketches that weren't redundant. And so my favorite that we came up with was Louis and the Last Supper because it yeah. sort, of, <laughs> sort of comments on, uh, you know, how some people like that sketch on, on the surface level and some people like the meta kind of commenting on, on recurring characters level. And so that's my favorite of the Louis sketches. But that's a ridiculous sketch. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome, though. I, I think it's hysterical. And the, just the, the way you deliver that is perfect. Perfect. I love it. So with the, the reunion, the, the Zoom at the State thing that you guys did for a charity that I believe is now actually out, people can, can buy it and watch it. And I know I thought it was a one thing, but I, I just saw a post about that. And I'll put links for all this stuff on there. I think, they, I think, they're, I think you can buy now the, like a Titan version of it. I think that's cool. what's happening. And there's a t-shirt that you can get if you buy it or something. Nice. How did that whole thing come about? Uh, Michael Jan. Michael Jan called everybody in the group and because of everything that's been going on, he's like, I feel like we need to do something. I feel like we could do something. I feel like we can raise some money. And, you know, it's very difficult to get the group to do something together, but um, I think it took a half a day to get everybody to be like, yeah, I'm in. Do you hear mine? I'm, I'm thundering too. You Your storm that? is contagious. Where are you? Where, where are you right now? I'm in Chicago right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So did the results of that surprise you? Cause it seemed like it was cool watching the bids start to go up and go up and go up to $5,000, $6,000. And I saw literally you guys would like run to your rooms and come back and be like, I got this for this. And <laughs> it was cool just watching people just kind of grab stuff. And then, uh, watching Tom Lennon in the porcupine suit and it looked like he thought he was going to be in it for two minutes. And then 25 yeah. minutes later, he was like, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was surprising. I mean, we didn't know how many people, we know that people, there are fans of the group, but we didn't, we didn't know how many. I had no sense of like what the state means to people. I mean, I know there, there are people who come up to me and like, oh, I love the state. But like, uh, you know, my head, that's, I'm like, well, that's the five people who like the, the show. <laughs> so when we said we were going to do it and and sell tickets we were like we could have 100 people 50 people we could have i don't know we, we could have 25 people. we don't know what we're going to have and then it wound up being i don't know how many people it was but we made a lot of money on it which was great and then we also um sold a lot of tickets and um and then we um and then we also didn't know how how the the auction was going to go but as soon as I got a sense of it, going back to the other point, as soon as I got a sense of it, like Carrie is so sweet. She's like, no, 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 you don't have to pay that much. And I was like, all right, I got it. I got it. And I just wanted, I wanted to get as much as we could for each thing because we were doing it for charity. You know, like it just, I just wanted us to 
do the best we can. And with 11 people and, you know, 11 people who like to make jokes and stuff, sometimes it's hard to corral everybody. So all I was trying to do once we got into the auction was be, would, is, and I always, I think deep down, I, I always wanted to be a, an auctioneer. <laughs> that was the original goal. So the, the final state question, because you've done a lot of stuff I definitely want to talk about, but after seeing now how many love that show and how many followers you guys have and what a success that was, is there a chance of doing future state episodes, some sort of reunion, some new sketches? Kevin talked about maybe doing a tour, but you couldn't get everybody together. You know, it's never say never. It's just very difficult to get 11 people together. That's the, that's the real answer. We always try to do stuff, and then it's just, it's not a group of four or five people. Um, and it's also not a group of four or five people who, like, aren't working as much. Like, there's a lot of people in the group who are working more now than they've ever worked. And so it's, it's just very hard to get everybody together because everybody's on a different train that's moving to, in a different direction. And, you know, to say, okay, uh, Mike, you know, David Wayne, Mike Showalter, Michael Jan, you know, uh, like, let's stop directing and can stop directing, you know, like everybody's, you know, like, and then, you know, Tom, you can't be in that TV show and Carrie, you can't be in, like, it's just, you know, oh, Joe, you're on Brooklyn Nine, not you. Like, it's like to pull everybody and Joe's directing. It's like, when six to seven people are available, the other, you know, five or six are not. Yeah. So four, four, four or five or not. Sure. So you guys, it's, it's funny. It, I think it dates me a little bit, but when I, I see shows or I watch things, I'll be there from the state, there from the state, there from the state, there from the state. And um, I was telling somebody today, I saw the girl from like making the band posted something like, hey, guys, they're doing a flashback on MTV this weekend. They're going to be playing the state. They're going to be doing the commercials. And she goes, this is when people forget. MTV used to have really good shows at one point. Like, people don't remember. It was – and she, she started making the – and all these things. And I was like, man, she doesn't realize that there was a time that MTV was no shows. It was actually music. <laughs> and I was like, now I feel really old. Like, she doesn't even know that was, like, a thing. But um, looking at all the people and where you guys have all been and the success you've had – was there a point that you looked around on, on a set that you were directing or acting in or somebody you were working with that you looked around and just went, holy shit, I, I made it. I'm in a, a big movie or a big show. And I mean, you've done movies with Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd and all these different people. Is there any time that the reality sinks in of how much you've done and how far you've come that you, you get that sense of you know, success? I guess for me, the, the times, I don't know if it sinks in how much I've done because I feel like I'm... I, in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm still hustling and still just trying to stay out of the red until, you know, trying to work hard and get that, you know, next good thing that like I'm proud of that goes for a while, you know, that has not gone away. And that, and, you know, and now, you know, now I'm directing stuff. And so I'm like, okay, what's that good script that I can kind of elevate and make good. But like I was saying to my friend, um, for instance, I was saying to my friend um, the other day, I go, uh, I got to do a show with Henry Winkler. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I just, when I was a kid, when I was a kid watching TV and we only had four, three channels to choose from, um, you know, four channels, Happy Days, you know, would come on and I would watch it and like, it was the Fonz. And the Fonz, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, most iconic, or one of the most iconic characters in television history. And then, here I am working on Children's Hospital and I'm getting to work with Henry Winkler or like, you know, Megan Mullally is this unbelievable force of nature from Will and Grace. And I get to do, I've done like four or five things with her. And I'm like, wait a second, I just got to step back. One of the other things, I mean, one of the things that blew my mind and David's mind when we did Wanderlust and we're like, you know, who would be great for this, Alan Alda, but he'll never do it. And then Alan Alda did it. And Alan Alda was, everything you hoped he would be as a human being and, and a talent, but as a human being, and then like, you know, times a hundred. It was, he was just, just, a, a, just an incredible soul. And same goes for Henry. I mean, like he just is like a phenomenal mensch, like a, just a beautiful man. Like when I was doing those um, uh, calls, when I was just calling people on Twitter, um Henry just texted me and he's like well do I get a call and then I called him 
And then we talked about it for a while and he's like, I just love it. I just love that you're doing that. And it's such a sweet thing. It's such a nice thing. You don't know how important that, you know, how, how nice that is, you know, how people will really like that. And I'm like, I don't know, Henry, I, I think people are enjoying it, but like, it's for me too. Like, I just want to, I just want to, I feel like calling somebody and talking to them was therapeutic for me. And I hope that it brought other people happiness, you know. That is absolutely something that made my day. I love that. I did want to hear about how that come about too. I know you, you just started posting like, or tweeting, Hey, does anybody want to call? And for days I was like, today, today, call me, call me. And then phone was like, Hey, it's Ken Marino. And I was like, Holy shit. Like this is amazing. <laughs> but that, that, that was really, really cool. What made you decide to start doing that? Well, we were all quarantined and this was early on. And, and, um, I know that everybody was home. I knew that everybody was home. And everybody's sitting there kind of thinking some version of what my wife and I were thinking and our friends were thinking, which is like, okay, what now? Now, when does this end? And what, you know, like what's going on and starting to get a little stir crazy sitting at home. And, and so I just was, I don't know. I just thought it would be nice to reach out to people and, and, and talk to them. It was nothing more than that. It was just like, uh, there's nothing else bigger behind it. I know that there's like these uh, cameo things and these, things where people call I think Mike Black is actually doing it now so I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to knock it um, and my wife said actually you could do that for charity which I didn't know um, but um, but I was like I don't I just want to just call people and 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 send out some good vibes and some positivity so that's what I did that's awesome I mean, it definitely worked again it made my day I called everybody else like, this is amazing you'll never guess what happened today but have you did it help you at all because I mean obviously People are calling, but you're dealing with the same thing everybody else is. You have to worry about it. Like, I think people forget that because you're on TV, it doesn't mean you're not a person. You don't have to worry about, you know, bills and health and family and, you know, right. being locked down all day and right. like that. So um, did you find that reaching out and hearing other people's stories and talking to them and connecting with them and making their days better was helping you deal with the quarantine a little bit better as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, to, to talk to these different people, I spoke to people in, <laughs> I want to say almost every state, but it, it, probably not every, almost every state, but I've talked to, I talked to people all over this country and, and who had uh, all different ages, you know, males, females, all different ages, different professions, doctors, lawyers, guys who uh, did pancake art, guys <laughs> who did um, uh, own pinball machine uh, and, and repaired pinball machines. And just like, just, so many different people, so many different personalities, but we all had the same, um, you know, ultimately we all had the same like fears and concerns and wants. And it just solidified for me that we're all in this, you know, not to, I'm as, as cliched as we're all in this, you know, and so we should all be taking care of each other. And um, that's sort of what's so frustrating about what's going on in this country right now. But, but, um, uh, yeah, it helped me a lot. And it, and, 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 um, you know, I mean, there would, there would, like, I would wake up in the morning and be like, okay, great. I'm making some phone calls. And at a certain point I was like, oh, I'm starting to neglect my children. I <laughs> make them lunch, you know, like, and so I had to pull back a little bit. And so I, I slowed down. That is fair. I, mean, I, I haven't done it in a while. We've, 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 we've been dealing with some other stuff. So, but I'm going to get back into doing it because I, I did enjoy it. I, I, can, I have to say I probably made about 80, 80 plus calls, maybe more. That's a lot, man. That's a lot of people to call. That was a lot. <laughs> you did a really good job of, of listening. You really sounded like you were engaged in the conversation. I didn't feel like hanging out the call just to bang out the call to say I did it. You were very responsive and engaged in the conversation we had. And I, I appreciate that. And that, I mean, you come off very genuine, very sincere, and, and it's really nice. You know, like you said, meeting, uh, you know, Alan Alder, Henry Winkler, and you're like, man, what a, what a great person. It makes you like him that much more. I got, as soon as I hung up the phone, I was like a much bigger Camerino fan. I was like, man, what a freaking just down to earth, good dude. So I appreciate that. I'm sure that that helps people a lot too. When they, they feel like you're having a genuine conversation with them, it really goes a long way and helps. So uh, parlaying off of that question, you're such a nice, genuine guy in the few conversations we've had, but you play like the best <laughs> asshole ever. It's really, I mean, I got to say, you, Adam Scott, and Danny McBride are by far 
just the three best assholes ever. His thing is Step Brothers, you and Wanderlust, you on Eastbound and Down, which is one of my favorite shows too. Like, I mean, you're, you're part of almost all my favorite things. So my, my initial question was, do you base that off of some of these Long Island assholes that you probably grew up with that like the stereotypical, like the, the guy in Wanderlust, I feel like is, is, could be one of my buddy's dads. You know? um, the answer is I base it off of, I base it off of, I wouldn't say Long Island assholes, but I mean, truth is I grew up on Long Island. So some of the assholes I crossed paths with, were uh, Long Island guys, but I've, uh, you know, since then I've, I've lived in other parts of the country and I've met uh, uh, people who are uh, just as um, uh, 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 dicky. And so, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's all, it's, 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 it's a, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's a, it's always fun to play the guy that your job is to make people not like you. Like that's a, that's a, that's fun because you know, you don't like, you can go anywhere with it and you can push the envelope and you know, as long as you ground it and keep it like connected to some sort of real person, it's, it's um, people seem to uh, respond to it. So, but yeah, I, I mean, if you, you mentioned um, Adam and um, Danny and I've worked with both of them on, um, party down and and uh, eastbound and down and i will tell you this they are two of the sweetest nicest <laughs> men ever ever meet in your life and so uh to put me in that uh, category of uh three you know three guys who play good assholes i appreciate that dude i mean ro role models and wanderlust are classic roles that that scene in wanderlust where you're in the kitchen and yelling at paul right and breaking the like all the it's just one of the best scenes ever and um it's funny, but I, I always wanted to know, was there a lot of different takes there? Was that ad lib? Was that written? I mean, it was, it was just done so well. And I was, I was living with my girlfriend at the time, Sabrina in the city. And every day, like whenever like turn the channel off or interrupt her or something, it'd be in my own house. And she do the thing. Like it was just, we would quote it all the time. So I will, I will tell you, so no, Dave and I wrote that script and that scene was pretty tight. I mean, you know, with all of us, we would, we would always band it and go in different directions. And we did a number of takes. Um, and then we did, if you ever watch the bizarro cut of Wanderlust, uh, you'll see, I, at one point I pull a gun out and like stick it in my, I like, it's like crazy. And like, you know, and, um, Mikhail is just like watching me. She's like, come on now. And I'm like, oh, like, it's the stupidest thing. It's over the top. It's crazy. But we just did that because we were I, you know, being idiots that day, but, um, but, uh, the, it was mostly, it was mostly written. And then what was your, what was your other question? Oh God. Just what, what was it that lived through? You know, what did oh, you do? Oh, I was going to tell you, Oh, in my own house comes from my father. <laughs> so the reason, the, so that comes from <laughs> my dad is again, the sweetest man. Um, but he's an Italian and he's a blue collar guy. And so, you know, he worked a lot of hours when I was in high school and, um, and I was, uh, you know, I complained about a lot of things and, you know, I was a typical teenage kid who's like, why, why do we got to do that? I want to do that. <laughs> and, um, I said to him something about having New Year's Eve. I wanted them out of the house so I can have my friends over for New Year's Eve. And he blew his lid because I wouldn't stop. And he, at one point he took his, I think he was drinking a, I want to say it was a, a scotch or something or whiskey or something, or something. And he drank, he drank it and then he threw it into, he wanted, he, he didn't know what to do with it. So he threw it into the sink and he went, right. And he just goes in my own house. And then he like walked down to the backyard. Like, cause he was like, I can't believe I'm getting so much disrespect in my own house. This is my house. And I never forgot that. And I joke, I tease him about it all the time. And I always, you know, say it to him. Um, and so we, 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 you know, I, I put it into the, um, <laughs> into what, to what, uh, whatever his name is, Rick says in the movie. It was, it was perfect. <laughs> I, your, your dad, uh, growing up on Long Island, I think he, he, I heard you say he did septic work. And I see that there, there's some themes in a lot of your movies that involve that in there. Do you take, part of you know your dad's life intentionally into some of those roles that you're doing or is just 
Yeah, always. I mean, it, like like I said, if you watch Diggers, uh, it's a love letter to my dad and to growing up on Long Island, and it's um, and that character is you'll you'll see you'll see hopefully a slightly more layered version of a guy who's a little rough around the edges in that movie, but there's more little pieces of who my dad was. Again, it's all heightened and, you know, brought to a different place. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I take, you know, my dad was, a, he was a clam digger and he was a cesspool guy and I would work with him. You know, I'd go out with him on the pump truck and we'd clean cesspools and we'd, you know, put sewer lines in and dig holes and do all that stuff. And, um, and so, and so I, there's a fascination I have. I would clean out the porta potties and wash them down. And, um, and so I have this fascination with, uh, on an, even another level of with shit <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and toilets and, uh, cesspools and, uh, so it, it, there's always a character that's either sitting on a toilet. I mean, if you look in Wanderlust, Paul sitting on a toilet. If you look at, you know, um, Wanderlust, I, I have a, a cesspool uh, company or a porta potty company. Um, any movie I do, uh, Diggers, I'm a, I'm a clam digger, and then I, I wind up becoming a plumber. Um, uh, um, I think the 10, we have something. Any, any movie that Dave and I have written, role models, I know we got shit, shit jokes in there. I can't help it. <laughs> That's awesome. No, That's it's, why it's, when it's I cool. did this movie, there's a movie, there's a movie called, um, uh, Mark Duplass called me up. He's like, I'm producing this movie called Bad Milo. And we were wondering if you would want to do it. And I was like, yeah, man, because I've wanted to work with Mark. And he goes, well, let me tell you what it's about. It's about this like demon monster who lives in your intestine and then you shit him out and he kills people that are frustrating you and he goes back up your ass. I'm like, you had me a, a, a demon monster coming out of my ass. <laughs> even, even that though, I wanted to bring that up because it's such a silly movie. I watched it probably for like the fifth time. Actually, this week I watched it. But you do gr a great job acting in that. Like you look like you're in physical pain like a demon's coming out of your ass many times in that movie, so. Well, I mean, uh, you know, four years at NYU uh, acting <laughs> at Strasburg Institute, what can I tell you? I, uh, I mean, they only teach the best uh, techniques. <laughs> they all, they all yeah, well. Now, the, um, the, the other thing is a lot of the, the things I ask people about when we're on this is I get a lot of real estate guys on, um, fighters, people that have to deal with a lot of, um, of self-doubt. And being somebody that's in the entertainment business, there, there's a lot of rejection, there's a lot of negativity. But one of the things that has helped me personally is when I see people that I know that maybe I was in like a real estate class with or trying to do deals with five, six years ago, and then they post some big win they had. Oh, you know, I just closed this deal or I like got money here or I did whatever. Or they have like a big win. And being that you started out on the same playing field with all the, you know, the Thomas Lennons and all the people that you're on in the state, and then they become these very successful interested in investing in real estate most people are go to www.nicknicknick.com and play around on the site a little bit to see if it's a fit for you if you'd like to potentially sell us properties we are always looking to buy great real estate investment properties whether it's residential development deals or commercial properties as well as we're always coming across great properties to sell. So if you're looking to get involved, you can find ways to buy properties from us with great returns that we can get for you, buy properties from you, sell properties to you, or find a way to join venture or partner up. NickNickNick.com. Check it out and see how you fit in. Yeah. So the question is just, what are like? How do you how do you keep yourself positive? How did you keep yourself? Was there ever a point on the days maybe you got uh, you didn't get roles, and then you see somebody that you know that you worked with and, and they're getting something, you're going, okay, well, they're a normal person like me. You know, if they can do it, I can do it. Like, what was, what were some of the things that helped you stay in the game before you started landing those roles? And was there ever a point that you just got so frustrated you wanted to quit? And, you know, just following up, how do you stay, stay so positive and hungry? I think the fear of not really being good at anything else kept me doing it. And then my love for wanting to do it, you know, I, I just, I've always, like I said, you know, fourth, fourth grade, I learned that I wanted to be an actor or I just felt that I wanted to be an actor and it, that, that never went away. And so I've always wanted to do it. And so then it really came down to like, so if you really want to do it, 
um, what does that mean? Does that mean you'll sleep on a couch for a year, uh, five years? Does that mean you'll, you know, wait tables and do that? And I was willing and ready to do all that stuff. And I did do that stuff. I did get very lucky with the state um, out of college um, because we got our own show. And that gave me, you know, all of us, I think, a, a certain amount of confidence. And then there were ups and downs throughout the years. I mean, that state was what, 95, I guess we ended. And that's a long time ago. And so for the last 25 years, I've been just, you know, kind of putting my head down. And I guess it goes back to, you know, just to bring it back to my dad again, you know, my dad's whole philosophy was like, put your head down, go do the job, collect the money, bring it home and support your family. And, um, and no matter what that took, you know what I mean? Like if you had to work 18 hours and you, your knuckles were bleeding from digging or you had gigantic calluses and rips in your hand, whatever, he would do that and he would come home and, and, and he would be there to support the family. And, and that, you know, that's certainly how I approach acting. I, I approach it like you go in, you go in there, you get the job. If you don't get the job, you go on to the next thing. And that's certainly helped me in the negative part of it. But it, but what's interesting is the the, the flip side of that, which is the uh, the joy, right? The 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 celebration of getting jobs and getting work and being in something that's um, successful on some level isn't there for me as much as I would think it would be, or what I thought it would be, you know, that kind of fantasy of like, I got that thing. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I never feel that way. I go, you know, so my, my manager or my agent will be like, you booked it. And I'm like, Oh good. Okay. When's it start? Like, I don't, I don't get excited. And I also don't get too bummed out about uh, the work I don't get. Um, so, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I'm glad I live in that, space because the high highs and the, you know I, I i'm happy to sacrifice the, sacrifice the high highs for the low lows professionally uh because i get the high highs from my wife and kids and my family <laughs> stuff like that so you know uh, it's, but um i've just had this mentality of just put your head down and then like i said i think we were saying on the state thing uh the zoom thing um that there's this friendly competition within this group of people that my comedy college and my, you know, and, and my acting college, NYU in the state and, you know, everything I was learning at the time um, when I was finally a man, uh, you know, that group of people, um, uh, we have this friendly competitive nature. Like if I see, you know, my, my peers who I love doing something, I'm like, I could do that. You know, that's what made me write, uh, you know, my first movie, you know, um, and th there's just this, we lift each other up as a group. Um, but we also, I think, inspire each other to have the drive that um, we had back then. And, to, and it continues now, I think, I, certainly for me, I don't know. I mean, I say that all the time when people ask me, but I, I don't know if that's for everybody. I feel like it is. It is for me. I love that. And I, I think it's consistent. I, you know, one of my favorite lines is how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think whether it's acting or, you know, being a UFC fighter, being a real estate guy, a couple of the things you said, I hear common themes with that one, like not letting the highs get too high or lows get too low. But you also mentioned earlier when we started talking about how you almost have that mentality of you're not going to like every day it's, it's, you have to earn it all over again. And I always wondered, I mean, I just closed a deal that I was working on today. And I said to my partner, I go, is there ever a time when you go like, this is great. I can relax now. And it's like, no, it's, it starts all over again. I feel like that's where some of the people that do well and then they disappear. It's because they take it for granted. And you seem like you have that mentality that every day you have to come back and earn it because it could go away at any second. And I feel like every successful person I know actually has that where you would think that like, oh, I'm on TV, I got these shows, I can, and it seems to be the total opposite. I don't know if that's just something internally that keeps pushing people, but have you always been like that? Um, I, I suppose so. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I, think, I think we're talking about grit, right? There's, like there's a book I think written called Grit, and I don't know who wrote it, but I, but I, my, I read it, my wife and I read it some time ago. And it talks about, you know, you could be, 
you know, you can have a silver spoon, you, you could be from nothing and is, but the, the common thread with everybody who has succeeded is they're, they're, they have grit, that they stick it out and they push through it. And I'd like to think I have that in uh, some way. You definitely have for your long career, man. You have grit for sure. You've definitely earned that. And, um, you know, on the acting stuff. So what, what made you transition into directing and producing and writing? And is there something you like best or prefer? Uh, one, I like directing. I mean, I, I love acting. Acting is what I always want to do. It's nice work when you can get it because it's the easiest part of the gig, I think. Um, but when you don't have it, it's, you know, that's when it, that's when it's, you know, stressful. Um, I like directing because I, I have, and again, the state was a, a great college for that. We did it all. And so I'm not intimidated or thrown off by all the people that are looking at you when you're directing and ask and, 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 and needing answers immediately. You know, I actually kind of get off on it. I enjoy it and I enjoy filtering. I feel like I'm confident enough to make comedic decisions or, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, dramatic decisions or, you know, visual decisions or, you know, decisions, decisions that you have to make when you're in the script process and when you're in the, the actual shooting process and when you're edit, you know, when you're in the editing process, I feel confident about that. And I know I can do it as, as well as, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of people who are doing it, you know? Um, and so that's not intimidating. I love, I, it, I like taking it on. Um, and then I just, I just like filtering a story through my own brain. I like the purity of that when you get to do that. Cause when you act in something, you can do a bunch of stuff and then it's really, then you never see it again. And you don't know if it's going to be, uh, they're going to use like the stuff that you're excited about, you know, but when you direct it, you see all the stuff and you go, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. And I'm going to, I'm going to use all those pieces. And it's really fun for me, like when I did Burning Love with my wife, Erica, um, who wrote it and created it, um, I got to direct it and be in it. So I didn't have to give notes to myself. Like, <laughs> I just kind of, you know, I, I knew I knew what I wanted as director. So I did it as actor, you know, and um, it was fun and easy. And people ask me, well, wouldn't, wouldn't that be difficult? And it wasn't. For me, it was fun. It was, you know, I mean, there were difficult aspects to it when you have a lot of people in the scene, you got to make sure that you've covered everything. But like performance wise and, and, and creativity wise, it was, um, it was really cool and fun. That's awesome. Is, is it, I got like it's got to be rewarding working with your wife, but is, is it strange when you go home having to, you know, maybe you guys are trying to relax and all of a sudden you go, let's talk about that scene. Like, do you guys have the, we, you know, me and my partner called the no fly zone. She's talking about the kid and I'm like, you know, this deal. And it's like, no, 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 we're not talking work right now. Is it hard to balance out and know when it's okay to play those roles? We, you know, Erica writes and she's been writing on several TV shows right now. And she's writing this feature that she, and she, she's constantly working now. And uh, when we work together at times, it's, um, it's, easy and, and fun. And at times it's like working with a writing partner where you're like, well, no, I want this. I want this. And we, it took us, you know, a little time to kind of figure out our system, but now we have it where we know that the most important thing is us as a couple, you know, and our family and the work is separate. And so if either of us need to kind of go, you know what, I don't want to talk about that right now. The other one respects that. And usually is, um, me who who is constantly like uh, you know Eric is like I don't want to talk about that I'm like right, right of course yeah because because I forget I forget the rules I tend to fair figure. enough so I don't uh, you obviously don't know this but I have been flossing constantly over the last week or two of you you've made me start flossing because I, I heard you do an interview that you met Steven Tyler and then you told the story about it and I thought it was crazy. Can you tell that story? It's crazy. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, all I remember is I, I, I just came out to LA. I, I, I was on this series. And so then for whatever reason, I got this call, like, will you do this rock and roller coaster thing with Aerosmith and Ileana Douglas? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, I don't know if there's a lot of lines. I'm like, I don't care. And so I did it. And I didn't have any lines for the US version, but I had lines for the UK, yeah, uh, Euro, uh, Euro Disney. 
I think I had a couple lines, but I, but basically it was just a day of just hanging out with Aerosmith and Ileana Douglas. And so it was fantastic. And, but all, the only thing I remember is, is Steven Tyler coming up to me and asking me if I floss every day and telling me that it's really important and really kind of giving me a, a, a lecture about uh, flossing and how important it is. And he kept showing off his choppers and I was like, Hey man, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, he's going strong. But I, you, what you said was so funny because it reminds me just of life in general. I thought the flossing was a great metaphor because I think the guy asked you and you were like, yeah, man, I went home and flossed like crazy for like two weeks, three weeks, and then it got a little bit less and then I just stopped doing it. And I feel like that's the thing is people go, I'm excited. I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a jujitsu guy. And then three, four weeks later, they go, ah, and they're on to the next thing. And that's why I think is amazing about the the course that you've stayed over the years. I mean, you you, you didn't do that with acting. And I just think that's really... I thought it was a good metaphor for, for life in general, the flossing thing and just sticking with it. Fair to say, have grit when you're flossing to remove the grit. There, yeah, full circle. I love it. I love it. Cool. Um, so again, I, I don't want to take up your whole day. I, I know it's getting a little late and you get the storm over there. So I like to call this the, the victory lap where I just ask a few final questions on the way out. And uh, first one being, what is your favorite sketch from the state? I mean, I have several. Um, I always think Porcupine's great. I love Tenement. I'm a big fan of Tenement. Um, I like. Um, I always thought that Barry and Levon was a, a pure, a pure state sketch. Like it wasn't aping or mimicking some other older sketch group. That was just like pure state. Um, I think Taco Man is, you know, one that I always enjoy. Um, those are the ones that kind of jump out at me. Um, anything that Kevin would do, Kevin Allison would do, would always make me laugh because he was out of his mind and I love him. The funeral and the restaurant, I think, are classics too. I always love that. Uh, at the end with the chat, well, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> yes, thank you. That's a great one. Um, as far as uh, animation, how, do you, how did you like doing that? My friend Corey D'Ambra, I'll give him a quick shout. He texted me when I told him you were coming on. He loves Axe Cop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I got, so the question is what, how did I get into it? No, did, did you like doing the animation? Cause it's a little bit different than you're usually not just the voice, you're the face, was it? Oh, um, it, well, you know, I mean, I basically just showed up and, and, and did some voiceover stuff and, and I've done that on other stuff and it's, it's fun. It's, you know, you just walk in and you roll off a bunch of different takes and um, you know, those rooms are, they tend to keep you, you know, keep it loose. And so you can kind of give them four or five different versions and then they pick the nice stuff and you know it's it but the way I got into that was um I had I was reading that book to my son um that the graphic novel or the graphic comic book or whatever you want to call it and I just thought it was incredible and so funny the concept you know what the concept is right concept is this uh, guy uh, Ethan um oh my god Ethan, the, 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 the artist and the writer, uh, he was 28 at the time and he had a half brother who was five years old and he wanted to get to know him. And so he's like, tell me some stories and I'll, I'll, I'll write them out. And so all the stories are about Axe Cop. Or he's, I think the kid was five or eight, I forget. He goes, tell me, tell, me, tell me some stories. And he's like, okay, here's a story about Axe Cop. And then he just told him these stories. And so he drew them out as the kid uh, dictated them. Um, like tr pretty verbatim. And so, so, but, but then he makes these beautiful drawings of Axe Cop and like creates this logic and it's just a fantastic series. Um, um, Ethan Nicole. And, um, and so then when I heard they were doing the series, uh, I was, I had a friend who was working on it. And I said, you know, uh, can, can I begin it? <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah it's a fun show and then when they said i thought i was hoping to be axe cop and then and then i and then i heard they got nick offman i'm like well that makes sense <laughs> and they're like you want to be flute cop i was like sure yeah i'll, I'll be flute cop nice my, my mom is a humongous humongous monk fan and when she found out you were coming out i think mr monk takes his medicine i think was your your episode she told me to say thank you she loves that show and she thought you were great in it well, uh, I got, you know, it's one of the things working with Tony Shalhoub. I mean, I got, to, it's, it's just a guest spot, but I got to meet Tony Shalhoub. I got to work with Tony Shalhoub and like, it, he's like one of the, you know, the, uh, one of those actors that you dream you get a chance to work with. And 
he was one of them. Another one now, right now that I just finished working on is Don Cheadle. Oh, when cool. I, you know, I, I'm working on Black Monday, and I and and I got to meet Don Cheadle, and I'm like, and work with him, and I'm like, dude, I got to tell you, you're like one of the great American actors. <laughs> and I'm like, the fact that I'm getting to do this with you is making me emotional. And I think I cried a little bit. It made me, I get a little embarrassed. That's awesome. So one of my one of my last questions for you is, knowing what you know now in life, if a young Ken Marino walked up to you and asked you for advice, what advice would you give a younger you today? You know, to, to be doing this, to be, to, to, if they wanted to get into this business? Is that your yeah, just, just, hey, give me some, I want to be successful. What do I do? I would surround yourself with like-minded people who are passionate about what they do. And I would spend my social time with them. And I would try to create with them and come up with ideas um, and, uh, and try to inspire each other. Um, because it's easier when you're with a friend or two or three or 10 and you're all thinking about the same thing and you're all passionate about the same thing and um, you can lift each other up, you can inspire each other. And so um, whatever you wanna do, make a decision to do it early on and then find people, like-minded people, and, and, and um, hang out with them. Even if you're not talking about it all the time, just hang out with them. I think that that's a really important thing, which going on that topic is, do you feel like having people around you that are on the similar path as you makes it easier that you have an outlet to go to talk to somebody about what you're actually getting? Because sometimes... If you go and you talk to somebody about a role or a problem you're having and they're, they're like, oh, I would, I would kill to be where you are and you're complaining about this, like having somebody that understands what you're going through on, uh, literally on that exact same business and path, do you feel like it helps you to have somebody like that to go to to get some of that stuff off your chest? Because I feel like everybody needs that outlet. It certainly has helped me. I mean, I'm lucky and I have a incredible wife that I can talk to and and unload on when I have to, you know, about like whatever I'm going through. But um, I also am incredibly lucky that I have these friends that I've had for, I mean, since college um, who are all still doing the same stuff and we all get to hang out with each other and talk to each other and commiserate and, you know, support each other. We're still there for each other. And that's what I, I um I I'm very grateful to to have that and I recognize that. That's cool. So what I definitely want to know for sure is are you a vampire? Because you haven't really aged much since this day. You got that great head of hair on you, you still look awesome, man. How the hell do you still look the same like you did twenty five years ago? I made a deal with the devil and that's all I can say. That's <laughs> part of the contract. I can't get into it any more than that. Fair enough, fair enough. So in closing, uh, what are some of the stuff you're working on now? Um, you, projects coming out, ways people can find you, things you might want to plug? Um, well, you know, everything sort of came to a halt. I was doing a show called The Other Two, and we were shooting the second season of it um, in New York, and then the whole virus uh, thing happened. So we'll get back to shooting that soon, hopefully. Um, so that'll come out, and that's going to <laughs> Comedy Central. What the hell am I talking about? Um, uh, and um, and then I'm doing a Black Monday, which is uh, the rest of the second season is is premiering. And if you haven't seen that, I get to play uh, twins, identical twins. Um, and I did a couple of um, I did the Babysitter two uh, for Netflix, so I'm in that for a little while. Uh, I was in the first one in a little bit, and and the second one I have a slightly bigger part, which is nice. And worked with director McGee, who's a great guy um, and a fantastic director. And uh, then I did um, another uh, couple other things for uh, Netflix. Uh, one's called The Sleepover, which is coming out soon, kids movie. And then I did another movie, kids movie, where I play uh, a manager of the bad, I'm the wrestler's manager, the bad guy's wrestler, the bad guy in the movie's manager. The bad guy, yeah, that's it. I'm the, I'm the bad guy, I'm the bad guy in the movie. <laughs> And, um, and that's called main event. That's outstanding, man. You got your hands full. Look, man, I'm just, like I said, I'm just trying to, you know, uh, uh, stay out of the red. 
Yeah, man. I, I tell you, anytime something comes on, even if I, if I'm just browsing through and I see the Camerino's in it, I'm always in, I'm always watching it, buying it, renting it, whatever it is, you know, um, burning love was absolutely hysterical. The mm-hmm. amount of people you had on that, the comedy, everything, um, dog days. I mean, I've seen pretty much everything you've been in, man. I, I'm a big fan a lot for me for you for you doing this and that you call me on twitter i really appreciate it i can't thank you enough for giving me your time today and all the laughs you're giving me and my friends on the state and my mom again saying a monk monk love you mom um any final thoughts or anything before i let you go (laughs) no it was a pleasure man um pleasure talking to you pleasure getting to know it's always good to talk to a a fellow long islander and uh you seem uh you seem like you're uh Wait a second. I'm looking now. One arm is missing there. I'm looking down at your thing. Oh, there you okay, go. there. <laughs> um, you uh, you just you just seem like such a wonderful uh, human being, and uh, you seem like you got it all together. And so, just keep doing what you're doing, man. It was a pleasure uh, talking to you. I appreciate that, man. Again, this meant a lot to me. I can't thank you enough. And uh, everybody, Ken Marino, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Have a great day. Stay healthy, my friend. Be good, man. Take it easy. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text drummer to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson.